You're listening to the Journey to Impact Fireside Chat Series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day, all people and planet can thrive together. Hi, this is Gino Borges. Thanks for joining me today. I have Ari Nezel and Birju Pan, uh, Pandai. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you're gonna help me with um, the pronunciation there, uh, Birju, here in a second. But I wanna introduce uh, two special people from the Bay Area that are doing wonderful work in so many different disparate ways in the world of impact, in the world of money and so forth. But their current project right now is building a team called Mobius, a, which is a capital allocation office using an integrated capital approach to develop multiple forms of wealth, focusing on redeveloping habitable space, abating suffering and inclining well-being. Berju is a chief mindfulness officer at Mobius since 2014 focuses on inner transformation, psycho-spiritual work, and deep adaptation and resilience. Ari co-founded 50by40.org, an NGO which seeks to create the causes and conditions for a 50% reduction in global industrialized meat production by 2040. Also co-founded the Pollen, uh, Pollination Project, which has made 4,000 seed grants of $500 to $5,000 in over 100 countries to passionate individual change makers working in the areas of environmental sustainability, social justice, community, and wellness. Uh, personally, Ari focuses on mindfulness, compassionate eating, philanthropy, service, and transformational entrepreneurship. And also, uh, interestingly enough, also has a sustainable housing portfolio that was built up that is now on the back end of the buildup and is phasing out. Hopefully we get a chance to explore that transition with Ari as well. Thanks again for joining us, Berju and Ari. Great to be here with you now. Well, guys, um, the reason why I wanted to invite both of you on together is because I know you guys spend so much time together. And the other part of it is, is that I feel like you guys are about 29 years ahead of everybody else. Um, in terms of trying to um, translate, trying to behave, trying to confront um, sort of the one-dimensional world, but in a way that you guys have been really exploring on how to merge the personal and the professional and really close down categories. And when I read about your, your current endeavor, it seems like that's your platform for playing this out. Can you talk a little bit about how you how you guys actually got to this point where it's like oh well, you know what we sort of need to bring this all together and house it under Mobius. Sure. Uh, well, uh, great question, and uh, and somehow I wish I could put it in a concise, uh, formulaic approach. Sometimes I think we tend to be very responsive to uh, arising conditions. And so now everything, I don't find that we have like a goal orientation or a plan of how things are going to evolve. We try to be really pay attention to the tea leaps and what's, where, where is life taking us both personally and societally and in our work. Um, 
But what happened it basically is how we brought this all together. You're saying, what is Mobius? We, we, there's this, we do, uh, we have a solar development business. We have a uh, apartment business, a office and industrial commercial real estate. Uh, we invest in uh, startups uh, that transform the uh, uh, agricultural space, specifically around meat, egg, and cheese. Uh, and we engage in many philanthropic and service activities. And so it's like, it, it felt like all these things to us, it felt like they all made sense. They all fit together because we saw the through line. But other people, it was sort of like, to them, it, it didn't seem relevant. And they didn't understand how we were doing so many things or why we were doing those things and how they related to one another. And so Beardsview had the insight of saying, listen, we need to, it's confusing for people besides maybe me and him, what, what we're all up to. And so we need to create some umbrella envelope, you know, organization that sort of brings it all together. And so that's how we basically came up with the name Mobius. Uh, and Mo Mobius, as we were just talking earlier, is a, it's a geometric object, so to speak. It's a, it's a one-sided three-dimensional object where as you follow the, the perimeter of it becomes the inside. As you follow the inside, it becomes the perimeter. And so you're inseparable. And we tend to think that, I think there's a tendency in, in the world around us to compartmentalize our lives, right? It's just, I, we put on a hat that's, that's, that's Ari, or we'll say Gino, the father. And then you take, take off the hat, you put another hat, when you go, to, go into the office, then you're Gino, the real estate developer. And then you put on a hat that, oh, Gino, the podcast host. You know, and then, then take it off and put on Gino, the, 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 the poet, right? And that's just, that is, that is, that denies the wholeness of, of you in my view. And it denies also me when I put on those different hats. Uh, and so in trying to seek to, uh, to de-silo those aspects of my life and the work we do and to bring more integration so that they're all playing with each other and that your poetry informs your work in the world and your work in the world informs how you parent you know, because you want to raise your your kids to be a certain way in contributing, and your the way you do in your work is contributing in a way you would think about philanthropy or service, and so it all becomes a whole as opposed to separate pieces of the puzzle. I love it, and Bruce, you, how how have you how have you worked out that through line in terms of translating it to somebody besides um, Ari? <laughs> You know, I mean, you talk about that through line and I totally get it. I mean, you have this shelter, you have this dwelling that you put all these seemingly disparate silos in to you and Ari. It's a clear through line because you guys sort of see how all, all of the pieces are connecting. But the outside world constantly sort of lives in a demarcated sort of segmented horizon. How are you doing that? Like, I mean, what's coming up for you and like what kind of new tools or, uh, you know, what kind of moments of sort of truth have you had in trying to translate this to uh, the outside world? I, I don't try to translate it to the outside world. Um, I mean, using, there's, there's different frames to explain it. Um, if you work for a conglomerate, you don't necessarily need to explain all the elements that you're working on. Um, you engage with the people that you are engaging with, and then coming out of that, you may highlight a piece of the work that you're doing. Um, and in certain cases, it may be meaningful to talk about the integrated approach 
that you're taking and why you're taking that kind of an integrated approach. However, um, you know, when I think about it internally, it's more driven by a series of chains that are not standard in the dominant paradigm. And when I met Ari, uh, whatever, half dozen years ago, he kept using this word. He called it Ariness. He wanted to <laughs> express his Ariness. Yeah. And over time, I actually love that way of framing it. Um, he, in, in a playful way, he would say, my inquiry is how to love myself. And it just so happens that as I explore that inquiry more and more deeply, I can't help but love others because I know that I'm connected and I can't but love others in ways that I couldn't have predicted following the work of Meg Wheatley, who talks about emergence that, you know, if you're really going into that question of how do I love myself? How do I love others? It doesn't stay siloed. You know, the, the river of love flows. And we have to surrender to it. And that's a, it's an open question. It's not the way the world tends to work. And yet it seems to create so much value. Mm -hmm. You know, are you bring up that point about uh, this idea of the whole, uh, of the different hats. And I think you bring up an interesting point about the difficulty of it being, uh, being trying to be one person, right? And I mean, part of the reason why I wrote the Poetry of Impact was exactly this, was to free ourselves up from the grammared world, which tends to want us to be our LinkedIn persona and uh, sort of be categorical about our existence. And I'd like for you to talk about how you guys have sort of navigated um, your notion of oneness um, that has a, maybe a, a series of mini-me's, like who who are all the people within the front-facing persona of Ari and Bergio? And sort of talk about how you guys sort of navigate all those voices and then how it may sort of parlay itself and play out in, in the outer world a little bit, whether it's in the pollinator project, whether it's in your investments, whether it's in your housing projects and so forth. Well, I think the way we navigate is, is a, it is a lot about integration. It's more and more. Uh, for instance, um, we are doing, we're, we're selling an apartment deal uh, and it'll be closing in, in next month. And we made a deal when we, we did our call for offers that we're willing to lower the purchase price to any buyer uh, by a percent of the donations they're willing to make to these 10 different organizations we, we, we really care about. And so this buyer that's going to be closing is making a half million dollars in donations to charity, to like, uh, to, to certain, these certain charities. So now we're, our philanthropy is built into our, our, our transaction there. And hopefully that, those, those, that organization that's making those donations will now feel connected to that group. Uh, when they, when they go ahead and make those donations, they're not going to just hopefully write checks. There's going to be like a follow-up. There's going to be like, they're going to get shared with the, what was accomplished or at the fruit store of that donation, as opposed to a typical way of, you know, make, uh, where I, well, we made all this money for this transaction. Now we're going to, you know, give away a certain percent of it. And so we wanted them to feel the, the benefits of living generously, like the way we feel as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe, they, maybe there's a relationship that gets built that's where it's not transactional anymore. There's a relationship that's built around a shared interest of contribution for as, as one small example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brzeu. Uh, I'm thinking of, of a poet. Uh, her name is Terry Tempest Williams. Uh, 
she was mentioning how she's at a party and somebody walks up to her and says, well, what do you do? And she looks at them incredulous and she says, about what? And I think there's a lot of that inquiry for us is as we're learning that we're, we're not actors that are put on here to maximize our return. We are curious about how to be a whole within a broader whole. And that implies needing to learn about where is it that there is pain and suffering and where is there opportunities to grow in compassion and wisdom. And then to be really creative about integrative design solutions to address that. So Ari gives one example in the real estate world. We're trying the same thing from a solar perspective. We're, we're installing a bunch of solar on commercial buildings and taking the upside of that and using the relationships that are coming out of that to connect to other parts of the philanthropic world where people start to see, okay, even if you put on solar panels, renewable energy doesn't solve the problem if total energy consumption keeps rising. Mm -hmm. There's a thing out there called Jevons paradox. It creates that, right? We, we can't, um, we can't innovate ourselves out of a problem that has to do with excess consumption. Well, how do we start engaging with the people who can share those stories with each other? And how can we be an excuse to make that happen while also generating return uh, in a way that doesn't destroy the process? That's a, it's a, it's a multifaceted inquiry. And I think the answer to that for me is like, not we do solar, it's do about what. Man, I love that. Just that subtle shift creates the whole new frontier. On both of your fronts, the transaction front that you just talked about, uh, Ari, as far as I know, I've never seen that done before. Um, it's not to say it hasn't been done, but it's the first time it's been shared with me in terms of that uh, type of transaction condition or an invitation to a certain kind of buyer that may be willing to go in a direction that he or she previously had not considered. So if essentially it's missionary work to some extent. It's like impact missionary work, right? I mean, you just sort of hand it over, uh, you know, the text of like, hey, here, here's the text I like to share. If you're willing to go share it, uh, you know, I'm more than happy. I got more copies, to, you know, I mean, type of thing. So I just love the emphasis on integration. Is this where you guys are going? When I read about you guys transforming financial and human capital into new forms of wealth, are the two examples that you just shared. Are those examples of what you guys are thinking about in terms of transforming, or is there more of an expansive sort of understanding of what you guys are considering? Uh, I don't know if I have, I, I can see too far in the future of what like the, you know, what, what the total reality is or what is the, uh, the, the meaning of life, you know, in terms of where it's all headed. I, you know, I, I I can see, I'm trying to see like one, like just one step ahead. It's so hard to see two steps ahead um, mm-hmm. around, uh, along with that. I think in this idea of the different forms of capital is in a very concrete way. There is this, um, there's this informative uh, writing that, that, that has, uh, that has been very uh, directive for what we do in the world and how we think about capital. So I think if you're a pocket business, businessman and they use the word capital, they're almost always talking about money. Right. There are many forms of capital, multiple forms of capital, and there's multiple forms of wealth from those forms of capital. You know, there's there's social capital, which manifests in a wealth of relationship, deep trust, trustworthy relationships. Right. There is there's material capital, which is which creates which can create comfort or uh, or or ease 
or serve or service in some ways, right? There's time capital, which may, for some people, the wealth becomes leisure, right? There is, there is, there's, there's, uh, I would say spiritual capital for sure. And that's like a maybe equi- non-reactivity, equanimity, inner peace. And so what we're talking about in these multiple forms of capital, multiple forms of wealth that we're trying to grow is financial capital. I mean, it's, it's all based in a story. Paper is, is worthless. It's only has, it has no intrinsic value. It's only it's extrinsic value, just to be honest. Yeah. And so the, but the, the value it creates is hopefully growing these other forms of capital. So we think about like, you know, uh, as you were talking about before, you know, um, what about the, about looking outside the, the you know this form of financial capital into new forms is it's it's not new forms of capital it's sort of the composting of financial capital into the forms of capital that really nourish me and the world I live in and it's sort of what's what's missing in modern economic you know modern economic theory sure. is we try to grow utility but because we've used it as a shorthand utility as wealth we've lost the purpose of the wealth in the first place. Mm. And when you guys are out in the world sharing this message, what type of feedback are you getting? Well, from, from what I've seen, the feedback really depends on the kind of message. We, we want one of the key elements of the theory of change is about meeting people where they are. So uh, we don't say the same thing to everyone, but depending on the place of conversation, it's about saying, well, what would help create more growth, more possibility of creative thinking and recognizing that the stories that we've been told and the silos that we've been operating under may not be the full story. Um, Building off of what Ari was sharing earlier, uh, my understanding of uh, these different forms of capital that Ari's talking about is they're not all created equal they have different design parameters and there's some unique elements about financial capital that makes it degenerative in nature. The things that it touches, it creates a sense of scarcity around. Consequently, it creates people that have this hedonic treadmill, right? There's, it's hard to have enough money because one, uh, you create this idea that other people may have more, but two, the forms of wealth that are more uh, stable, they start getting destroyed as we try to pull out more and more in the form of financialization. And so just having that conversation with people and saying, okay, you know, we're not trying to maximize return here uh, from a financial lens. We're trying to maximize others. That starts to ring a bell for people. And the deeper you walk into that path, the more the mindset starts to change. A lot of this is neurological. So, you know, day one, I I wouldn't necessarily go to a a hedge fund manager and start talking about that. What I would want to talk about is there's ways to create value that is beyond financial while still making money, which is great. But there comes a point at which we expand the message and recognize that if, if we keep making money the way that we are, even if we're growing other kinds of wealth for ourselves, it's not necessarily the case for other people. And like that, the story keeps on evolving and shifting depending on the audience. Was there a moment in your guys' life, I mean, Ari, I know um, yours came um, in the late 90s uh, with a particular relationship or incident with food, um, uh, but uh, Braju and Ari, can you guys flesh out sort of the aha moment for you guys when, um, and I don't know enough of you about your background, but in particular, your adult life where you had to sort of this aha moment of, 
it could have been a feeling of hollowness or uh, the opposite. It could have been like a complete amplification of your life force where you're like realizing like, gosh, what I'm doing um, is not what I want to be doing. And all of a sudden you just pivoted and it became so clear to you because you couldn't go back doing the other. Yeah. Like you couldn't go back because you just saw something that's like, I have to go in this direction, regardless of the amount of uncertainty, regardless of the amount of potential threat to mine, whatever my net worth might be in terms of uh, sizing myself in terms of bank account. Because what I realized is that there are a lot of people out there that I feel like are good hearted that want to live impact driven lives or live with intentionality, live integrative uh, in an integrative way. But it's like, it's that moment of trusting that aha-ness so that in, it's not a retreat from because it can be a little intimidating for all the reasons why. It's, it's a lot easier to potentially live in the security of misery than it is in the sort of the potential prosperity or the potential maximization of the uncertain world. Uh, so can you sort of talk about your past a little bit uh, sort of bring people up to speed on that epicenter of like, this is me, this is me and this is the direction I'm going. I'm happy to go first. I, it's a great question. Uh, and I hope everyone has that, you know, that moment where they have a choice point to reevaluate. And hopefully we get to do that many times in our lives. Um, and we listen to uh, the message because I think a lot of people have that and they forget what they, what, the, what their insights were. Uh, I remember there was a point early in my business career uh, where I saw myself getting everything I wanted. And I, I started as an entrepreneur uh, relatively early in my mid-20s. Um, but I saw myself being in my mid-40s, which is about where I am now, uh, getting everything I wanted and feeling empty inside. And being at this point, you know, 20, 25 years down the road, where I asked myself, is this all there is? And I look back and like, why did I spend decades trying to get something that wasn't going to give me, that getting what I want didn't get me what I wanted. Uh, and so that led to an inquiry uh, that I'm still, I still live into this day is what really brings about well-being for myself and others. Uh, and I acknowledge like I, I have a natural capacity, interest and skill around uh, the business world, around entrepreneurship. And so I, was, I didn't want to throw that out because I actually really enjoy this work. And yet, in a traditional format, it was going to be unfulfilling. And so that sort of, that moment, which was, you know, uh, maybe like 17 years ago, still, still informs me to this day. I, I have a few that come up. Um, it, it seems to be a, a continual inquiry for me. Uh, I remember being involved in impact investing about a decade ago. And we were focused on supporting what was then called the bottom of the pyramid. And I was in a, in a board meeting for a company that was doing water purification. Um, and, you know, we were learning about, you know, avoiding cholera and things that were really meaningful um, in, in parts of the world that were very downtrodden from an economic perspective. And, uh, I remember being in that meeting and I was just curious and I was asking where the water came from and, and people didn't know. 
and uh, what they found out later was that it was coming from an aquifer. And when we went deeper into it, we found that the aquifer was being drawn from 10x the rate at which it was being replenished. So uh, time was short. We didn't know how short. And it started me on a rabbit hole of asking, uh, what good is impact if the uh, foundation upon which the impact is created is financialization, when what we're doing underneath that is depleting our natural stores of wealth, our non-financial stores of wealth. Uh, that's been a big inquiry for me. Um, and I've also had an inquiry around, uh, around gift culture and asking, what is it in me that seeks financialization, that seeks stores of wealth for myself, that sense of security in knowing that if relationships break down, if, if systems break down, I'm okay because I have X and Y and Z. And how can I start stepping into deeper forms of trust, unconditionality, relationship in my work that I'm doing and beyond? And so taking leaps towards doing practices of gratitude, of kindness, random acts of kindness. These are things that uh, I've been practicing over time. But the big, the big hit that came to me was realizing in the workplace that there wasn't any way that I would jump over transactionalism in my life by engaging in this so-called good work. Oh, man. Braju, you hit on about 15 different angles that I want to touch on. I'm going to try to do maybe a couple of them at one time here. But um, one is that I never heard this term transactionalism, which I really like. It's almost it's almost bigger than democracy to some extent uh, is, is transactionalism. Um, but I love it as a sort of an ideology. Um, you know, I feel similar. I, you know, it's like here I am in the impact space, feel like I'm doing good work. But if I peel back the layers, there is a part of me that wants to seemingly make sure that at least my family has enough and then I can go out and, um, you know, protect the world and do what I want to do. And I feel like that alone is almost like there's work, enormous amount of work just to do around that. I feel like that is the bulk of my work on my back 40 is like the, the first 40 was the transactionalism, but then figuring out how in the hell to let go of all these darn shields that it takes that you have to build up in the world of transactionalism, right? And like in order to be a certain amount of success in the business world, there's a bunch of armor that's up and there's, you know, um, I mean, ego is obviously the biggest piece of armor. And then we have all these bureaucratic imperatives from law and accounting and all these paradigms of understanding that just sort of like for me, just suck the life force out of me if taken literally. But then on the back 40, I'm realizing like, wow, we have this moment and we have this potential for these micro practices, like you just mentioned. What I want to get at is Ari, you and Brashu, um, how, you know, you talked about the challenges of trying to live integrative life. Like Ari's even acknowledging in the writings that I was reading about, it's like, I'm not even close to where I want to be. It's like, I'm acknowledging this is a damn ongoing daily challenge. And, um, I want to get at like, what can, what do you do on a daily basis? And then what's hard as hell to keep coming back and doing, even though you know, it's the right thing to be doing, because every time you do it, you feel right. But sometimes it might be, it seems so trivial 
that you just, oh, I'll just let it go. I'll just let it slip. I'm not going to be quiet for 10 minutes. I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to take a walk to nature. I'm not going to pause before somebody says something silly to me and that I would tend, I tend to be reactive. You know, just all those things. Like it's hard to be what you guys are trying to be. And so I'm wondering, you know, just like Steph goes to the gym every day and shoots for three hours and Clay Thompson shoots for three hours. I mean, what do you guys do? Here's you want to go first? Sure, sure. Um, I think everyone's got their own practices. Um, your practices make your life. There's this, uh, you know, a lot of interesting quotes about that. We are the average of the people we spend time with. Um, our habits create <laughs> us. I uh, I really appreciate what Buddha has to say about this. You know, when when people ask, well, what does it mean to to grow towards enlightenment? He says three things. Do right action, avoid unwholesome action, and keep purifying the mind. And I think those three are really powerful categories, right? Um, the third one's really important because today's definition of what right action is grows as we purify the mind. And so I'm asking myself, what are the many things that I can be creating as, as unconscious um, systems in my life that incline me towards practices of right action, avoiding unwholesome action and practices of, of purifying the mind. I can be very specific, but I'll, I'll pause there for now and hand it off to Art. Uh, well, I, I appreciate those categories uh, very much and as, as, a, as a guidepost. I think more concretely for me, it's like daily practices. You know, I start each of my days with meditation. And that's sort of that third category you're talking about, purifying the mind. You know, being in a place where I'm not, I can be less reactive, uh, where I am not at the whims of the world around me. And if waves come, I, they don't over, overwhelm me, but I can learn how to surf them. Then I, am in, then I can show up more reliably as the person I want to be. And my highest artiness has become accessible. Um, whereas... If things if things overwhelm me easily, if um, if I become uh, myopic with my view and tunnel vision about where I want to go, but not paying attention to what's going on around me, um, then I start I, I, I notice I build a mindset that sees the world around me and the people around me is how can I use them to further my goal as opposed to how do I further our totality uh, as a community as a as a, as a, as a species as an, as a as those that share this planet together. Um, and I think with it, you also talked about challenges, where are the difficulties? I think there is a, um, there are these, uh, I guess I say unwholesome, they can be wholesome or unwholesome depending on the context, but there's certain qualities that are just, that have been instilled in me through the business world that have been really helpful in some areas, but have also, you know, have shadows. Like I, I've always tried to be very efficient, but efficiency sometimes can be antithetical to kindness. It's not, you know, small to kindness of the says is sometimes the antidote to efficiency. Like, cause it, it's not efficient to spend time just talking to people sometimes and seeing how they're doing Yeah. when you've got like, well, we have three things on our list. We want to get done. And so, so like trying to figure out like, what are these like little practices that help balance me out? You know, when I, when I, cause I have a lot of financial wealth, it's very easy for me to turn problems into expenses and not to really engage with them, you know? So it's like, it's yeah. like, and, but we get lost in that, you know, some communities where there isn't as much wealth, 
there's the, that there is there's a resiliency that's built because if you don't have something, you go to your neighbors for it. That's right. And so what you use money to do, you don't build a relationship with your neighbors or with friends in some ways because you don't need each other the same way as you need each other in those communities. So just trying to figure out ways to augment these tendencies of mine and, uh, and that, are, that are so instilled in me through the, the world I, I live in. So before um, we're chatting a little bit before this uh, podcast about you guys um, shifting, I, I know a large part of your early business career was building um, a real asset portfolio around apartments. And, and I mean, that sort of had an indelible impression on you and I'm guessing a fair amount of wealth creation. And now I'm under the impression that you're actually on your way out of that particular business. Can, can you talk about what happened there in terms of the, the transition? Like what went into that transition to build up and to get out of it? Yeah. So, um, you know, you t- one tends to do what they what they know well and they're good at, you know, over, over time we got really good at buying, you know, run down uh, properties and somewhat similar to you and turning them around, whether they're run down, uh, you know, in terms of their, uh, the physical infrastructure, they got poor management, they got financial issues, whatever, buying those and, and, and beautifying them, putting in good, good, good management, uh, adding amenities and running them as a going concern. Uh, and so we got good at that. We got really specifically got to know really well the Dallas area, a little less and, and a little so less so also Austin and Houston. Uh, and at some point as we were doing this over time, first of all, there's a, there's market conditions were changing and you couldn't buy the, the there weren't as many distra- uh, distressed properties. So it just wasn't like, it wasn't this opportunity didn't exist as much. And secondly, uh, there was a longing as we got involved in more things outside of, outside of, real estate that we wanted more time. I wanted more time available to do other things. And it seemed to me like, like these businesses never were going to run themselves. Yeah. Like there always were things that were changing on them uh, that demanded a lot of oversight. And so being able to, uh, being able to switch into new asset classes and real estate specifically that didn't re- demand the ongoing attention that apartments did was really, uh, was part of our motivation. Also the fact that the prices were increasing so much uh, was a motivation, but I'd say it was primarily borne by the fact that there's other things I really wanted to be spending my time on, uh, rather than just spending all my time, you know, looking at rent rolls and looking at, you know, renovation budgets. <laughs> Can you, um, we have a few minutes here. I, I just like to sort of sit with what sort of naturally came up for you, uh, potentially during uh, this conversation. Was there something that, um, they have inside of you that uh, that's connected, that's unsaid, that that can feed off of what uh, you know the threads, the threads that we've been sort of um, entwining. And so I like to sort of leave that sort of open ended in terms of you guys do so much good work um, and varied work, just like Ari touched on. It's like, oh man, I came to realize that this is an enormous amount of oversight. Uh, somewhat of a time suck relative to what my interests are. Um, and, um, and, you know, to get at this opportunity and saying like, wow, well, this is the same sort of moment. It's like, I can only bring up so much about what I think I know about you, but I really want to give you an opportunity to maybe touch on what's most alive in you right now or what you're uh, potentially working on and uh, what you would like to share with, I mean, the larger um, impact space. 
those feel like like different questions. Um, I I want to touch on this the latter one first because um, I think it's meaningful as we think about de-siloing our lives and and uh, the way that I would think about uh, the work at Mobius is it's an integrated capital office. I wouldn't frame it as investment alone per se. Um, it's really about thinking about a capital stack, um, which includes uh, transcendence of financial, but also within financial. And um, a lot of the, the direction here is about um, inclining well-being and reducing suffering. So when we uh, started diving into that, we were asking, well, where is the suffering happening? Uh, we couldn't help but notice that uh, amongst life on earth, one of the biggest places that humans were connected to was animals. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we started diving deep into a rabbit hole. Of what are the ways that we could reduce the suffering of particularly farmed animals? And over time, realize that there's a spectrum of ways to engage there. Of course, there's ways to donate, but there's also plenty of investment opportunities. And we've been looking into those investment opportunities over time. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people here have heard about things like regenerative agriculture, Beyond Meat, um, Impossible Burger. There's a whole plethora of ways in which people are trying to ask this question. And there's a plethora of ways to engage with it from a capital perspective. What was interesting for us to know is as we dove into that question, our own evolution started informing the ways in which we wanted to show up to the work. Um, there's been really interesting analyses out there saying, okay, what are the, what are the non-financial benefits of making a donation versus doing a loan versus making an equity investment, even an impact equity investment? And the data that we were seeing was showing uh, an order of magnitude greater level of value coming from philanthropic capital as compared to impact capital. And of course, impact capital in theory is with you um, ongoingly or in perpetuity. And so it's not necessarily apples to apples, but it started shifting our thought process in terms of where we wanted to spend um, uh, the dollars that we had in trying to create results and change in the world and recognizing that, you know, uh, in, in our worldview, we're not on a pathway to utopia. Things are be being broken down. Systems are breaking down. A dollar that's given today creates a lot more value uh, in terms of the place where we are in a macro system as compared to 10 years from now, from our perspective. And so we've been trying to put that thought process to work. Ari? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. If you, if you look at the biomass of, of, of animals and humans on this planet, or mammals specifically, it's it's 66% approximately of all uh, I'm sorry 60% of all biomass on this planet is our our livestock. 36% of of mammalian mammalian biomass is humans, and 4% are wild animals. So if you include humans and livestock and the livestock we keep to feed us, 96% of all life in this world is belongs to humans. Only 4% is wild. And that's very much related to one another. So like all this livestock we're using to feed us is making it so there's only 4% available for the wild animals. So we're really focused on mm. sort of this idea of how do we use our money in a way that reduces the most harm in the world, the most suffering. And I think it's not just suffering for the animals, it's suffering for us. It's destroying our planet, our only, our biosphere, which we, we inhabit. And so we're really curious about where are, what are the biggest issues facing our planet? 
of those issues are the biggest, which are the least uh, uh, funded, and of those that are least funded, which have the, the greatest, uh, the most powerful interventions that can address those issues. And we think addressing factory farming is really important to us. So one of the things we've come up with this is like, with this wealth we're creating, here's an opportunity for us to not only do have impact, but have a tremendous impact in an area that, that is way too often ignored. Uh, so we're, we give, we have a commitment to give at least 50% of our adjusted gross income each year, uh, in philanthropy and not just to give it and writing a check, but do it in a way that really honors these principles of, of our, of intersectionality. So where we can offer into it, or, you know, we can offer into the equation, like various forms of capital that are non-financial as well. Mm. Wow. I think this is one of the more enlightening conversations about all the different forms of capital. I think it started off that way and it just ended that way with um, Ari. And I think it gets at the heart of what you guys are really talking about is that to really get at an integrative moment in life, we have to talk about all of the forms of capital that have been sidelined because of this dominant ideology that capital is only moneyed uh, capital, that we are just a moneyed culture as opposed to an integrated culture. And I think, Brazil, you do a nice job of honoring uh, what I love about um, Brazil's ongoing sort of MO thread is sort of an anthropological approach. I mean, you have this sort of this Jane Goodall approach to like assessing life. It's like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I have my tools and strategies and all this stuff, but what it really comes down to is being inductive. It's like, you gotta go visit the place you got to meet people where they are. You have to understand that life may not be where or you're in your preferred position or your preferred stance. And I think that's really telling. And I think that's a long, I think it goes a long ways toward your overall goal of uh, reducing the amount of suffering as well, because I think an enormous amount of human suffering comes from being agendized um, so much that we've just verbed our way, you know, agendized meaning that our entire existence is constantly trying to lay a cookie cutter onto the earth and onto people over and over and over. And I mean, life is irascible, right? I mean, I think that's what I take from Berju's comments is like, you know, life's coming and going and flowing and I'm meeting people at this particular intersection of life. And aha, if I can work with that energy and that sense of aliveness right then and there, and then bring the forms of capital to it, then potentially um, I can maximize return in a holistic way. And Brazil, do you have a point? Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, that, that that's part of the reason why community is so important to us. Mm-hmm. But we see this as a process of building new muscles, you know, building a highway where there's just brush there neurologically. Yeah. And that's hard to do by oneself. And so um, we, are, we are part of... Uh, several funder networks for that purpose is it's very hard to do this without having a set of practices that one can do individually, having a place to go to where there's others who you can practice with together. And over time, that which neurologically seems impossible becomes inevitable. Well said. Ari, Bershu, thank you so much. Um, It was twice as more, it was three times, you know, I'm not even going to create a quantifiable moment here. I'm just saying that I knew it was going to be juicy with you guys and I didn't know what was coming, but I got more than what I ever expected within a short period of time. So um, thank you so much. And 
I know the impact space and beyond the impact space. I mean, this touches on a lot of um, topics and categories, ontological categories. I mean, there was a lot of uh, philosophy here, epistemology, our way of knowing. Um, I mean, you guys were hitting on all of the buttons. You talked about your role as entrepreneurs, and we talked about this ongoing challenge of like, we still live in a world that may not be fostering the ideas that we want to foster as much as we want to foster and cultivate, but figuring out how to do it. And I mean, that's part of the journey. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so Gio. much for having me. Really grateful. Thank you for listening to the journey to impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.